Well, this morning we are going to be in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, verses 49 through 59. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, verses 49 through 59. I'll bring the text up on the screen. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Hear the word of the Lord. And Jesus is speaking, saying, I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. No, I tell you. Or do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say there will be a scorching heat. And it happens. You hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge and the judge hand you to the officer and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. I mentioned earlier in the service, this week we started watching this documentary called American Gospel. We've only watched the first third of it, but uh, we've already in that 45 minutes saw a variety of ways the church has gotten the gospel wrong in America. But if we could make it into maybe centralize it a bit. And, make it, and, and say, well, what, what's something that causes many errors with the gospel? Well, we, can, we get the gospel wrong in a whole variety of ways when we get Jesus wrong. And truly, many misunderstand Jesus. They misunderstand the purpose of Jesus. And if we misunderstand Jesus, then we're also going to misunderstand what Jesus demands of us. It can be jarring when, uh, when people actually read their Bibles, especially for people who only go to church on Christmas and Easter, and so they only hear the, the tidings of peace and great joy. They only hear the celebrations of the resurrection, and that's all true. But then what happens when they actually, out of curiosity, pick up their Bible and they read this text, when all they've heard is about Jesus and peace and peace and Jesus... And they read these words from Christ. What shocking words he gives here. But how do we reconcile with what Jesus says here with uh, the words and the promises of peace that are associated with the Messiah? Well, we're going to address that here. But one thing we need to be on guard against always is an overly simplistic idea about who Jesus is. We just oversimplify Jesus, and we just kind of basically, and and the problem is when we oversimplify Jesus, we get bored with him. 
because we figured him out. And so we know what Jesus is about, and so we don't really need to think about him that much anymore. We need to move on to other things, more pressing things, because we figured Jesus out. We know who he is. But then Jesus comes and blows up our preconceived notions about him. And this morning, Jesus is going to clarify exactly what he came to do, and then clarify what he expects us to do in response to his teaching. So first, let's look at what Christ came to do. This is not all that Christ came to do, certainly, but this is what Christ says he came to do, and he says, I came to set the earth on fire. Not exactly the meek and mild Jesus in our portraits that we probably shouldn't have, honestly. Some have argued that this means that, that, that setting the earth on fire, this is, Jesus is talking about preaching the gospel. Um, but fire is normally associated with the judgment of God. And given the context of the passage, what he says later on in the passage, I would understand that, that is what Jesus is referring to here. That Jesus desires for the judgment to come. He longs for it to be here. But why? See, I thought Jesus was the nice one in the Bible, right? I thought he was the soft and, and, and easy one. Well, well, Jesus is humble. And Jesus is good. Jesus is loving and compassionate. He is tender and he is kind. He is ready to receive the broken and the oppressed and the downtrodden to love and bind up the hurting. But Jesus is also holy. Jesus desires for sin to be removed from the earth. He desires for sin and corruption to be removed from his people. He desires for wrongs and injustices to be righted. Because, lest we forget, in his own nature, he is very God of very God. This pushes back against the conception that God the Father is the angry, wrathful one who is being held back by his kind-hearted son. Jesus longs for the world that was corrupted since Adam to be put to rights. He longs for the kingdom of God to come in in, in perfection, in glory. He longs for the devil and death to be cast into the lake of fire. And Jesus says, he has come to begin revealing the judgment of God on earth through his own ministry. Because also, he says, not only have I come to set the earth on fire, he has come to get baptized. Now, Jesus has already been baptized by John at this point, and so clearly Jesus is referring to a baptism that has not occurred yet. And further, notice he says, great is my distress until it comes. It bothers me. I am unsettled in my soul until this baptism occurs. Well, there is no question that this baptism Christ is anticipating is his suffering and death upon the cross. But how does that relate to setting the earth on fire in judgment? Well, the cross is the judgment of God poured out on sin. It is the judgment of God poured out for the sins of his people. 
Now, Jesus is not saying he's looking forward to the experience of the cross, but rather it is what he came to do. It is his purpose, and he is unsettled until it is accomplished. And the cross is the issuing of holy and fiery judgment upon the Son for our sake. Our own Christian baptism is a sign of our union with Christ in his death for our sin. And so consider here the distress of Jesus. As the book of Hebrews tells us, he despises the shame of the suffering of the cross. But he looks forward to the joy of what it accomplishes in his people redeemed for eternity. The judgment for sin that Jesus endured on the cross is a guarantee that God will judge all sin in the end. Because if he's going to bring judgment for our sin upon his own blessed son, you can be sure that he is going to judge every other sin that was not paid for on the cross. Because in the end, the final judgment will come. The universe will be put to rights. The kingdom of God will come in fullness. And so in order for all of that to happen, Jesus must receive his baptism of judgment for his people. As this is accomplished, we are told that Jesus has come to bring something else in his ministry. He says he has come to bring division. All right? Jesus is just cheerful today in this sermon that he brings to the crowds. Not the one they had come to expect. But Jesus corrects the audience's apparent misconception that all he has come to do is bring peace, or at least peace as they conceive of it. You're like, but Luke, didn't you just write ten chapters ago at the birth of Christ? Didn't you record the angelic concert in the sky where they sang literally glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased? Do the prophets not call Jesus the Prince of Peace who will bring about an endless peace over those he rules? Is the gospel itself in Acts chapter 10 not called the good news of peace? Is the kingdom of God not righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, as Paul says in Romans? Is not peace one of the very fruits of the Spirit? Are we not to strive to live at peace with one another wherever possible? And we could go on and on. So what gives here? Why is Jesus saying he has not come to bring peace but division? Well, this, this is addresses another misunderstanding, a misconception that many have. Many misunderstand what peace is and when peace will be fully experienced. Peace in the biblical sense is not simply the absence of conflict, but wholeness, being made whole and complete. And truly, Christ does bring peace between God and men through his life and his death and his resurrection. He reconciles us to God. And further, the peace that we have with God enables us largely to live at peace so far as that it concerns us 
with others, as we forgive others who wrong us, and as we, as we, as we do not strive for the same things that the world strives after. Yet at the same time, the gospel that brings us peace with God and brings us much peace with others also brings division with other people because of the gospel itself, because of Jesus himself. Commitment to the gospel that we are redeemed by the blood of Jesus comes at a cost. For those who do not believe the gospel will be repulsed by it. For it is the judgment of sin, even as it is the offer of eternal life. The gospel we hold in these jars of clay will produce division, even, Jesus says, the most intimate and personal settings, the household. It was common that time for adult parents and adult children to live in the same home. And so where there is a mixture of believers and unbelievers in a home, there will be division. Division between fathers and sons, mothers and daughters, mother-in-laws against daughter-in-laws. And you're like, well, they didn't have to work too hard on that one. That's even a stereotype in our culture. But the division over Christ and the gospel. And so Jesus is disabusing us of the false notion that faith in Christ will produce nothing but happiness and peace and goodness in our experience, in our lives. That if we trust in Jesus, we won't have any problems. Things will be great. No, Jesus says, the gospel itself is divisive. It sets even the closest of relations against one another. Now, this is not forever, for the end will come. Judgment will fall and glory will be brought in. But until Christ returns, there will certainly be peace in the heart of God's people, peace between God and his people and our relationship with God. Yet there will be division between those who love Jesus and those who hate him. Always. This is a feature of the gospel in a fallen world, not a bug. It is the reality of the gospel shining brightly in a dark world. And so having corrected our view of his purpose, Christ moves on to consider what he, what, what he demands of us, what we should do in response to him in verses 54 to 59. And Jesus presents in these verses a stinging rebuke using the weather and a lawsuit to make his point clear. And in this, he's he's showing us what he wants us to do in response to his teaching. And he says that we need to learn to interpret the present time in verses 54 to 56. Now, if you've been in the church for a while, you may have heard uh, it by maybe other Christians in other places or maybe perhaps even in our own context that you need to learn how to interpret the times. That's a phrase that gets gets chucked around, particularly in, 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 in charismatic or Pentecostal circles. Okay. Interpret the times. Now, often what people mean by that is that we need to look carefully at the news and world events and suss out what God is doing behind the scenes, uh, with, uh, with, particularly with respect to the impending return of Christ. Uh, but that is not what Jesus is saying here. It's not what he's telling his audience. The ability to predict the weather uh, here, the examples that he gives, does not require a degree in meteorology. They see a cloud in the west, and they know rain's coming. 
They feel the wind coming off the Sahara Desert from the south, and they know it's going to be a scorcher that day. It's less complex math and incredible discernment as it is more kind of like this, the, the saying that many of us know, you know, red sky at morning, sailors take warning, red sky at night, sailors delight, that type of thing. That's the, that's the level we're working with here, the fairly obvious stuff that can be distilled in a rhyme. And so people calls his, his crowd, his audience, godless hypocrites, because he says you can discern the weather from pretty obvious signs, but you cannot figure out what's going on right in front of you. Well, what is going on? Jesus, the Christ, is there proclaiming to them the kingdom of God, calling upon them to repent and believe. That's what's going on. And then secondly, he says that we need to settle with our accuser. In verses 57 to 59, Jesus compares this situation to, uh, to one that would have been fairly common in that time. If you owed a debt and that debt was called in, and if you didn't have the money, uh, then, you, then you would try to work something out before, they, before your accuser, before the guy you owed the money to, got you to the judge. Because if he gets you to the judge, you know what's going to happen. You're going to get handed over to the officer, and the officer's going to throw you in prison until your friends and family can pay enough money to get you out, to pay your debt. And you won't get out till every penny is paid. But maybe you can settle the debt. I can pay you half. I can, do, I can work for you. I can do some of the thing, and that way you don't go to jail. That's the point. Now, there's certain practical wisdom here. If you're in a jam, you owe a debt to someone of, of money or other, other, other type of debt, you know, it's going to work a lot better to work it out with them before they take you to court, Right? But that's not the point. Jesus is not just giving us sound legal advice. The real point here is about the judgment of God. We owe God a debt on account of our sin. And Jesus is here proclaiming the way of forgiveness of sin by faith in him. If we wait to deal with God until until we stand before God in the final judgment, it will be too late. And too many are persuaded that sin is real, that they may need forgiveness that is offered in the gospel, but because of their love for the world, they put it off. I'm not ready yet. Don't want to deal with it yet. I'm just going to deal with it later. I'm going to deal with it later. I I got some things that I just don't want to let go of just yet. But Jesus reminds us that we we are not promised tomorrow. The time for repentance is always today. It is always now, because you don't know what the next moment will bring you. And so we see the urgency of Jesus here as he presses the people to respond to the kingdom of God now. And so we need to ask ourselves, are we listening to Jesus? And this is a question that we need to really ask ourselves, especially the longer you're in church, the more you're around Christians, the more you read the Bible, the more familiar familiar you have become with the Christian faith, the more we need to ask ourselves, are we actually listening to Jesus? One One of the hardest things you can do as a Christian is read the Gospels, right? One of the scariest things to do is to read the Gospels because you hear Christ's words and sometimes they scare you. Sometimes they shock you. Sometimes, And so we need to ask ourselves, have I you know, created a different version of Jesus? Have I only been listening to part of what Jesus says? Am I listening to Jesus? 
Do I think that Jesus has come to simply make my life peaceful and comfortable, that he's become my assistant, that he is somehow optional? Do we hear the words of Jesus and think that we don't really need to repent or that at least we just don't need to do it right now? Not until we've had our fill of sin. Not until I'll do it next week. You know, I still got a little bit more to do before I go there. I know what I need to do. I just need to hold off doing it. Do we see the present moment with the moral insanity of our culture before us? Do we see our own besetting sins that hobble us or difficult circumstances that weigh upon our shoulders and think we just need to soldier on in our own strength? If we just grit our teeth and just grab those bootstraps, we're just going to make it through. Jesus says, the time is now to listen. The time is now to repent. The time is now to believe the message of grace and the kingdom of God. Yes, Jesus desires for the judgment fire to come and to do its work so that his work would be complete. But remember that the fire of judgment fell upon him first on his cross. The cross that he took for us. This passage is not meant to lead us to believe that Jesus is harsh or mean or that he longs to bring pain and suffering on the wicked. God says very clearly that he does not delight in the destruction of the wicked, although it is necessary. It doesn't make him happy. Now, Christ says he longs for the work of cosmic renewal to be complete and for justice to be done. And for that to happen, he must receive the justice of God for the sins of his people. He also knows that if we interpret the present time, and if we seek God and his grace to relieve our debt of sin in his son, that this will bring division into our lives. It will bring hardship into our relationships. And so these are, these are not soft and easy words from Jesus today. Many will turn from Christ's word and, uh, today and seek other words, other parts of the Bible, or even false words and false teaching about Jesus because it affirms them. But Jesus here in his kindness corrects us. And so let us repent of our sins afresh this morning. Let us receive the goodness of the kingdom of God by faith in his name. Let us not be surprised. Doesn't mean you have to enjoy it, but let us not be surprised by the division that may rise up in our relationships, even some of the closest relationships we have because of our love for Jesus. Only let us not delay to listen to Jesus. Let us not delay in our repentance. Let us not delay to believe the promises of the gospel. For as great as our debt may be, greater is his grace, greater is his love, and greater is his goodness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in Jesus we have a great Savior. We have sinned and fallen short in many ways. And we confess, Father, there are, there are ways where we 
we mix error with truth when it, in, with Jesus ourselves. So Lord, we pray that we would listen. We pray, Father, that we would look at our own lives and where sin is present, we would hate it. We would fight against it. We would make war against it and put it to death. We pray, Lord, that we would respond to Jesus, that we would listen to him, that we would know that he has taken the judgment for our sin upon himself, that we would live for him, that we would live as citizens of his kingdom, that we would live as children of God. And so, Lord, we pray that you would open our ears, that we may listen to Jesus this morning. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.